Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. Alrighty, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 209 with Bianca Chatfield. How are you, Bianca? I'm good, thanks. 209. Good job getting through that many podcasts. <laughs> it's amazing I've had that many people to contact. And I'll tell yeah. you what, the, the guests are getting better and better. And i tell you what, I'm so excited for today. Now, I want to get into your amazing career because you've had one of the most glittered netball careers ever. But I've got a wife, a mother, a mother-in-law and two sisters. And they would, I think, shoot me, Bianca, if I didn't bring up the block. What was the experience like on the block? <laughs> <laughs> well, to be honest, I was such a fangirl of the show and always have been. My dad's a builder and I don't know, I just love renovating. I'd watch a show and think, oh, it can't be that hard. Like, look at everyone <laughs> saying how hard it is. And um, so, yeah, even throughout my whole netball career, I was, I remember being at Commonwealth Games in 2014 in Glasgow and I was in the Athletes Village and I knew I was about to start my retirement kind of plan, how I'm going to get myself on it. Um, and it took three years to actually get on the show, uh, but it was one of the best things I've ever done. I loved it and hated it while I was doing it because it was so hard, but it was brilliant. And I'm so, so glad I just, you know, took, I guess, had the little bit of courage to go, let's just apply and see what happens. And yeah, it was pretty awesome. Wow. So, so three years from applying to getting on in, and, and you've got a profile as well. So I can imagine for some people, they must try forever to get on. Like that's crazy. Yeah. Well, I think that to, in respect to the show, that's what I actually really like about it as yes, it's a reality show. Yes. Things are exaggerated, but a lot of it is just genuinely what you see is what happens. And so they're not really after people with profiles. They're not really, they want everyday people trying to build a place. And yep. so that's why they are very careful with their casting uh, and 50,000 people apply every single season. So it's just hard, I guess, to stand out in the crowd. And so it does take a while to get on their radar. Mm. Well, anyway, I, I know that I've pleased my mother, my mother-in-law, my wife and everyone involved that uh, we can get that off. Now, let's talk about your netball career because there's world titles, there's titles, Phoenix Vixens all over the world. Did that start at an early age? Did you just dominate? Like, did you bully people as a junior because you're that good? <laughs> yeah, well, I did bully people on the court, that's for sure. <laughs> um, no, you know what? I was. Ne I loved... I loved, my parents were always like, get outside, do something, be active. And so I grew up horse riding and doing gymnastics. And, you know, I'm just a tall girl. So I had no choice in that. I was always going to be tall. And honestly, playing a team sport like netball or even basketball, I played a lot of as a kid. Um, you just, I just realized that my height was actually an asset in the sporting world. Whereas in the normal world at school, I felt like it was such a disadvantage. I hated it. I hated everyone talking about how tall I was. It was just a place where I guess I found that I belonged and got a lot of confidence in myself um, when I got out there on the court. So my older sister played a lot more netball than basketball. So I just often followed her along and yeah, she started doing well. And I'm like, oh, well, if you can too, then I'll give it a go. And that's how I got caught up in the whirlwind of sport. And I probably never even realized I could make a career out of it, let alone a long career like I did. Um, so yeah, it was, it was pretty cool to find it early on. Um, but I certainly, I want everyone to realize I, I wasn't naturally gifted. I wasn't one of those athletes that just didn't have to train that hard. It just all came naturally. I, I was a battler. I really had to work <laughs> my butt off 
to achieve anything. And physically, I had to push my body. I had to train. I felt like I always had to train so much harder than a lot of other players. Um, but probably the one asset that I did have, other than height, was I was I, I was mentally able to push myself through a lot of tough times and I was able to take the emotion out of a lot of situations which I realized other athletes had to learn that and had to battle through that whereas I was I battled through the physical stuff but the mental stuff I just found a way to be competitive and to keep pushing myself even if you know people told you you weren't good enough or you got dropped from a team. Yeah, so that's a really good point because, you know, you see so many people that say, oh, they're going to be naturally gifted. They're, they've got all the skills, but at the end of the day, they might not have the right mindset or the work ethic. And at the end of the day, if you don't have that, it doesn't matter how good you are, you're not going to get through. So did you see people, and, and as you're saying, I'm, you're very modest there, Bianca, but did you see people you're obviously playing against that were so naturally gifted, but they just didn't have the grit that you had? Like you would have come across a lot of people like that. Yeah, you do. You have a lot of teammates from junior state teams that you think, oh my gosh, they're amazing. Like no one's going to get near them the older they get. But they either lose the competitive drive to keep pushing themselves or they potentially don't want to make the sacrifices. You know, you have to give up so much as a young person if you want to make it. And in my mind, for some reason, giving up a lot of those, you know, acting like I was a 20 year old, you know, with my friends, I was okay to go, you know, I don't want to go out on the weekend. I want to play netball. I want to train. I want to get up early and go to training on a Sunday morning. For me, it just became, I was just not obsessed, but I was certainly very single-minded and focused on what I wanted once I realized that's what I wanted. Um, and it and it didn't seem to hurt me as much to miss out on some of that stuff like it did others. And my older sister, she she uh, got to the stage where she was going to move to the AIS in Canberra. Um, but she really was a homebody and she wanted to stay in Melbourne. She wanted to do that. Whereas I was like, oh, I'd go. No, no biggie. Like I, it was just not a big deal for me to do that and to travel around the world. And I never really felt homesick. Um, I just, I, I think I just love the adrenaline rush and like the, the, the challenge and the ride that you're on as an athlete, the ups and downs, like all of it. Um, so yeah, I think it just takes a, a the right type of person to be able to mix in everything and and have that willingness to learn. Um, you, you certainly never get to that expert level where everything's just easy. It just never happens. No matter how much, how many premierships you win or gold medals you win, you are never feeling that point where, you, oh yeah, I'm safe here. You know, everything's okay. I've figured it all out because you just never do. Yeah. And I think that's a great point in life that you there's always an opportunity to learn. And if you think you're the best or that you're fine where you are, then, I think that's a really bad opportunity and why you miss out on so many good things that can come your way. So let's talk what I'm really interested in, because when you, like you said, you made a lot of sacrifices and for female sport, when you were starting out, particularly netball, there wouldn't be much money around. And I know like female sport today, it is getting more, more exposure and better, but still the money to make a career out of it is, you know, it's probably not where it needs to be. Um, so what was what was that like? Tell like because you put so much effort and work into your career that you like you can't really have a job. So how did you survive on everything going on and, and trying to make it in Nepal? Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, you don't know any different when you're in it, right? So I don't know what it's like to earn a million dollars to play the game. I only knew what I knew. So at the time I was doing it, I would watch, especially for my Melbourne Phoenix team, I had a group of older players within that team who were like my big sisters. So they already were playing for Australia before I was, and I would just watch them. I would watch them have this entrepreneur, I can't even say that, entrepreneurial spirit 
where they would go off and yes, they'd go to training. Yes, they'd have a little job on the side. Yes, they'd have this other side hustle. They'd be earning money to do little coaching clinics. And I just watched them and I just basically followed and copied them along the way. So I knew that one, it was important that I got myself a degree outside of being an athlete because many people tell you you're one injury away from it being all over. So you need to have something on the side. Um, as a female athlete also, we had the opportunity during the day to actually go and do other things. So yes, she could have a part-time job. Or So I went to uni and did a teaching degree. Um, and I was just lucky at that time that the sport was in a position where you had the opportunity during the day to go to uni. It's all changed. By the time I was at my last five years of my career, we did train a lot during the day, um, but there was still making sure that girls could actually have something outside of it. And that's something that even the more money that comes into female sport, the more passionate I think athletes are that they keep that time block during a day uh, to make sure that you do have the opportunity to go and do other things. And that's where, when you do compare it to male sport, um, yes, male sport gets more money, but they also are locked into the club 24 seven. They actually don't have the opportunity or very little opportunity to actually go and do a degree or have another job or side hustle. Um, they've really got to put a whole lot more effort in to be able to fit it in. Uh, and so when you get to retirement of your athletic career, it's it's a lot easier transition. It doesn't mean it's, um, I mean, it's a simpler transition. It's probably not easier, but you've already got all these other things that you're used to doing on the side. So, yeah, I think I just learned it from the other athletes in front of me. And then I was also very determined that when people would say to me, oh, you, why do you put all that effort into netball? It's not like you can make money out of it. And I was kind of like, oh, why can't I? I don't know where I got it from, but I was always, I always wanted to prove people wrong, I think. And so the whole, oh, well, I'll, I'll see if I can. And then I just figure out ways to have a million different jobs and try and squash it all in and still play netball. And then <laughs> gradually the money got more in netball and I was able to make more of a living out of it and do less work. And But I'd always have other things because I think it was good for me mentally to, if netball wasn't going well or I had a bad game, I was able to block that out and go, all right, well, today I'm just going to go to work, whatever that might be, and just forget about netball for a while. So I enjoyed pushing myself and having other things. Um, like I worked at Essendon Footy Club for a few years and I love being around the players because they would go, oh, you played last night. We watched it on TV. What are you doing at work on a Monday? And I'm like, uh, because we have to. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> but I enjoy that I get to chat to them about sport, but I would see their lives being 100% sport. And I thought, oh, I'm so lucky I have an outlet. Um, and yeah, I actually felt a lot for them that they didn't really have an outlet unless they really made an effort to have one. Mm, that's a, you just made a really good point there because I think we look at, you know, professional sport and full-time, but what you were just saying is that you actually got to leave that. You had another life. You had an identity. You weren't just a netballer. And I think a lot of time, particularly look at like cricket and all the mental health problems that are coming from it because their life is revolving around what they make or how many wickets they get. So that's a really good point. Having something to leave and having more to life than just being recognised as a netballer that's a really big point, isn't it? Yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong. We want all the female athletes sure, to yeah, pay yeah. lots and lots and lots of money. <laughs> but 
you know, I did a bit of work with our players association along my time as an athlete. I was, you know, again, I'd watch the older players represent us in our players association. Then once I got a bit older, I was like, right, I want to do this too, where we're fighting for our rights as athletes. And that was one of the biggest wins. When you hear about contract negotiations and CBA negotiations, you hear a lot about that in AFL and cricket. And when, you know, the sporting bodies that heads with the players association and a lot of what we would fight for is having 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. blocked out so no one was allowed to train during those times. It used to be like nine till three and then it crept in a little bit. But that's why it was so important that there was that block of time. So coaches couldn't say, oh, you lost on the weekend quickly, we better put a training session in during the day. Because we needed girls to be able to plan their life and plan what they were doing away from the sport and not creeping on it. Like, yes, you sacrifice a lot and you put a lot in and make sure there's enough hours in, in your week to to put into your sport but we needed girls to be able to go you know what I'm going to commit to two uh, units at uni this um, semester and able and allow them to actually do it and not feel guilty that they're always having to miss out because training got in the way. Mm, That's a really good point because at the end of the day I think people are experiencing that at the moment Bianca you know that we've got so much time and we feel like we should be working and there's a, there's no balance. There's no balance between what's work and what's not because we don't leave the house. Um, so I think that's a really, and I know it's a weird time, but what you're just saying, it sort of mixes a bit from professional sport full-time to being sort of part-time, but still professional. And I, I think that's a really, I think that's a really good thing people can take off from that. Now let's talk about, you've come from amazing cultures, Phoenix. I remember watching that on channel nine or channel 10 and absolutely loving it before pay, TV, we couldn't afford it. So I used to love watching the netball. Now, Phoenix Vixens, you played in the best teams for Australia. What what makes a good team? Oh, that's uh, a big question. I oh, know, sorry. A massive question. <laughs> massive one, but I love delving into it because we always say when you when you win a premiership and you and you feel that team culture, it is it is actually a feeling more than anything else. You can't even describe what what comes into it but it's one of those things where you go oh if we could bottle that up man we would make millions of dollars if we could sell the exact formula that works in a good team culture um but i guess when i break it down what was important especially when i was in leadership roles was creating just a sense of every single person so usually in a netball team you'll have 12 players and then you'll have a you know potentially another 10 support staff so whenever we travel, whenever we are together at training or games, you have the same 20 people that are really in the inner sanctum. Um, and so what I think becomes really important is that every single person in that 20, so not just the players, but everyone, feels like they've got, they feel included, but they feel like they've got a fair and equal kind of opportunity to, to talk about what they're feeling you know, within the team environment, to add value to what we want to do as a team. It was not just a couple of the older players going, this is how it is and this is what needs to be done. It was everyone being treated fairly and equally um, and also just giving everyone some buy-in. So we would have team rules, we would have team values and behaviours and that, that was all well and good. But if it, the youngest person in the team hadn't been able to be part of that process of creating those team rules why would they buy into it like you can't just tell someone that that's how they've got to do things you need a you need to have a brainstorm every single year with the new group of 20 because that 20 always changes it's very rare that you keep the exact same team and so being able to sit down and go okay what do you all think how do you want this to operate what are we going to set as our standards together as a team And then it gives every single person the ability to keep each other accountable too. So it's not up to the captain and the coach to be, 
yelling at people for not doing the right thing or not putting in enough effort or not showing up in the right uniform. It's, it's about the youngest player has the ability to talk to the oldest player and say, you know what, you actually weren't doing the right thing there. And in creating an environment that was very open and trusting, um, and believe me, it's not easy. Um, and it's a work in progress. Every single week, we would kind of keep reassessing it. And uh, it's embracing everyone's uniqueness too and not, not needing every team member to act and behave and, and, you know, talk the way we all do. It's actually going, okay, well, she's very different to me. I respect the fact that um, she's got a different personality. We don't have to be best mates, but we know that we're both doing it here for the right reasons. And so then you would learn to just love each other's quirks and weirdness and you just embrace it. And the more you embraced it, the more successful you actually were once you got out there on court and you take the time, I guess, to get to know everybody, not just as what they bring onto the court, but what who they actually are uh, and what's important to them. And that helps you when you're out there on court under pressure because you know you know what scares each other and you know what worries each other and you know if you yell at that player, that's not going to get the best out of her. Um, so, yeah, it, I, I was fortunate enough to experience just great team cultures, not all the time, but in different times. And I certainly learned what made me feel good as a player. And that's kind of how I added my leadership toolkit. You know, I'd make sure I added that to my toolkit so that I would not make a player feel un, unwanted or insecure in their position in the team. Um, so, yeah, you just learn a lot along the way and then a lot of it is just a guessing game and if you know you're always reflecting and you're always um, assessing each performance on the court it's just as important to assess each other's performance in terms of their role within the team and how and you know what they're finding hard what they're finding easy and how we're going together as a group. Mm, I, I love hearing that because I feel that relates back to you think about a workplace each year you're going to have different staff you know, each yeah. team's going to be different. Each each teacher is going to have a different class of students each year. And like you just said, if people don't feel safe in that environment, then it's going to be dominated by one and you're not going to get the best results. So creating a safe, inclusive environment is essential. So really, you're doing that now, aren't you? Because you're helping so many schools, corporates, teams. Do you want to talk a little bit about what that looks like? So you've obviously bottled up the best. Like you just said, you've planned some amazing team cultures, Bianca. And you've been on the block and you've had these great experiences. <laughs> and, and now have you, what are you doing with that? How does that sort of look for a school, for a workplace, for a sports team? Yeah, so what I like to do is, is you know, because I do have a teaching degree, I realised that, you know, probably not being in a uh, school environment was for me, more so the scheduling. I like being living like a bit of a freelance kind of lifestyle. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I love working with young people. I love just connecting with people in general. So for me, um, now I just try and uh, speak to groups and speak to teams and businesses where it's about, okay, this is where you're at right now. How can we get you all working together and, and create a team dynamic that makes you all empowered and makes you all feel good and makes you all feel confident about what you're doing and your role that you're doing? And I mean, I'm making it sound like it's super easy. It's not easy, but it's about having some... <laughs> good conversations and just and, and it's encouraging those conversations when I'm going into these places and uh, you know that's what I absolutely love at the moment and especially now COVID has hit at the start I was thinking what is my year gonna look like but <laughs> it's been pretty cool to see how a lot of these conversations of course they can happen online of course they can happen in this environment and there's been some real advantages to getting teams together or school groups together where everyone is actually at home in their own space so have the opportunity to do a bit more reflection where they're not distracted by each other in the same room by they're not you know you, you can have that 
awkward silence, which is so powerful in a way where you can just go, well, I'm happy to just wait and hear what you guys have to think. And it's amazing how much uh, you get out of that at the moment now because everyone's in their own space and not distracted by each other and not, you know, the conversation isn't necessarily dominated by certain characters within the team. It's actually given everyone more of a voice. So, yeah, it's been great online. I think there's many opportunities now that uh, we can have more of these discussions online rather than, you know, in that kind of setting where I'm standing up the front of a room and just telling people how it is. Yeah, I found that as well, that people, because people feel safe, they're in their environment, they don't feel threatened. And I don't know, there's more of a chance because you can turn your camera off or you can enjoy it. You can be more vulnerable than what you normally would be because old Billy and Sarah over here are bullies and they're going to gang up on me if I do the wrong thing. Whereas at home, you can really embrace it. So if you notice probably you're getting not better results because we'll never replace face-to-face human connection. That is the number one thing. But you're probably getting different results that you've never seen before. And just conversations go in different directions. And you're exactly right. Like I like to always say, I want to see your face. I love connecting with people when I'm talking. That certainly helps me. But if you're exhausted by Zoom because you've been on it for the last five hours and <laughs> you know, and, and it does, it takes more energy for some oh, reason. Zoom doom, they call it. Crazy. crazy. Yeah, Zoom doom, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, I like to say to people, like, make the choice. If you need the camera off right now, then turn it off. I'm happy with that. But if you want to connect in and support me in a way that I can, I know that I'm getting something out of it, then keep your camera on. But I like to, I think people can now, uh, I like to refer it to as your own self-management system. And I've learned a lot about myself over COVID in that when I don't have structure around me, when I'm not sure what's going to happen next, when I have obviously, you know, you lose a lot of work. A lot of people have lost a lot of their work. What can I actually control about how I go about my day? And just the simplest little things that I have included in my little self-management system is my alarm goes off the same time every single day, no matter whether I've got to get up for something, it's important for me to keep myself accountable to that. And sometimes I do not want to get up and I'm like, no, <laughs> just stay in bed. You can, like you can actually sleep in. I'm like, no, Bianca, get yourself up. You'll feel better. And you know, going for a morning walk, getting myself outside to get a coffee when we're allowed to get outside and just, and, you know, even just, myself using the reminders app on my phone i've i've been a pretty average boss to myself which i've learned and even just using a reminder thing on my phone to keep myself to go you know when i'm getting my coffee in the morning i'm like listing everything that i want to achieve that day some of them is just replying to an email but if i've got that and i can tick things off i have a much more productive and positive day than if i started it scrolling on my phone laying in bed and not getting out of bed for a while so i've had to keep myself accountable to that and that's what i like to to share with um, groups that I'm speaking to is around we all, you know, team dynamics and everything sits out here, but you can't possibly lead a team unless you can lead yourself first. Yes. You know, you can't possibly manage a team unless you know how to manage you. And it's not perfectly because no one does it perfectly, but it's being able to find and dig deep into what actually suits you. And then from there on, you'll feel much more confident and much more positive when you're out there amongst other people and working with other people. Oh, I love that because, and I've said this a lot lately, you cannot lead or help anybody else unless you help yourself. And at the moment, self-love and care is at an all time, we need more of it. And I'm the same, that routine is something we all crave. And that's why before COVID, people are living a normal life because they just have to go about their day and they don't think about other things. Whereas now we don't have to do that. And all these uncertainties creep in because we've got more time to think about it. So I love that. So 
I know this might be a little bit personal, but what else do you have in your routine? Because I think if people can hear what other people do, so what time do you set your alarm, Bianca? And then after your coffee, are there other just non-negotiables each day? <laughs> yeah, and my day, because I do work freelance life, every day is different. Sometimes I'm like filming stuff for media or sometimes I'm, you know, running Alicia work stuff. Sometimes I'm just doing admin. So every day is very different. But what I've got myself out, out what else I've got in my routine is I am, I love social media and I use Instagram. It's fun. I use Twitter to talk about sport, but I am also a bit addicted to it. And I am on my phone far too often. And I didn't realize how much it actually exhausts me, but also how much it changes how I'm feeling so for example if you think about everyone you follow on Instagram there are a lot of people that you might follow that you know might be aspiring or might be mentors that you look up to but there are also those people on there that I know who are just like just every time I see their posts it just makes me angry and I'm like (laughs) oh why are you doing that today or like they put a hundred stories up and I'm spending 20 minutes of my day watching their stories and I hate every single one of them and I'm still watching them. And I'm like, <laughs> so I've had to really do a bit of a self audit of my social media and go, if they annoy you, unfollow them. Or if you don't, if you don't want to defriend them, just mute them. And that's okay too. Just actually control what you're actually absorbing. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was just getting myself into all sorts of just, you know, it would change my, the way I was thinking by purely watching, people on Instagram so I think we can really have a good look at that um, in all of our lives and just say okay who makes me feel good who empowers me you know they don't have to be positive poly all the time but just (laughs) make sure the people you're following are the people you want around you Um, and so I also so part of me doing that is just also not necessarily giving myself amount of time for social media but just not picking up my phone every second to have a look like you know I'll go so I get up at quarter to six in the morning. Sorry, quarter to seven. Ugh, quarter to six, way too early. Um, <laughs> and one of my best mates, Carla, who I did the block with, she lives within my 5K radius in Victoria. We're only allowed five kilometres at the moment. Um, so we've been like, right, both of us need to get up and just go for a walk. Whether it's rain, hail or shine, we're going to make each other get up. And so we've been doing that. And my partner owns a cafe. So we walk past his cafe, grab a coffee and then keep going. Um, so then we usually finish our walk about quarter to nine and that's when I will go and go into my reminders. What am I looking at? What do I need to do? And I usually just try and set aside only two hour chunks because I can't really, I get distracted too easily. So I'm like, okay, two hours, no social media, no looking at your phone, just doing emails, doing whatever I need to do, then give myself a break, then go back into another two hour block. So if I'm, if that's how I could set up my day, that's how I'm trying to do it most days. Um, and then I'm also, I love exercise. I used to love it as an athlete because you knew you had to, and it's a performance thing, but now I just love exercise because not flogging my body, but just making myself feel good. So sometimes I'll do Pilates in the afternoon. Sometimes I'll, um, I can't really run because my knees are just trash from that. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I'll do just like an online body fit session or whatever, but I just always need to include some kind of exercise most days, not every day, but most days. Um, and yeah, make sure that when I'm going to bed, I'm not like on scrolling on social media either. And, um, yeah, and I've, I've actually, um, what else have I done in this time? I've, I signed up to do an old MBA, which is a, um, leadership course Seth Godin runs in the U S and, um, a lot of what, Oh, love it. And I've been wanting to do that all the time and for so long. And my excuse has always been, oh, I'm just too busy. I couldn't give it the time like that it needs to have. And I finally um, signed up to that 
made myself do it. And it's one of the best things I've ever done because I walk away now and realize that a lot of my life I've been addicted to being busy and having goals to tick off. And COVID has taught me that it's okay to sit still. It's okay to just be in a place where you go, all right, I don't really know what's going to happen next. But what can I do to actually make myself feel good and get myself in a good frame of mind so that when the next project or the next job or whatever comes along, that you're actually in a better frame of mind, you're refreshed, you're re-energized, and you can take it on in a much better way than probably if I was exhausted, like I have been a lot of the time trying to say yes to everything and squash everything in. Well, and I think what, and that's, I, I think I've said this a lot as well, that this is a great opportunity to slow down and do something you've wanted to do for a while that you've made excuses because now there are no excuses and you're only holding yourself back. So I love that Seth Godin's guys, if you haven't listened to his podcast at Kimball or any of his books, amazing. He's one of the best speakers, daily blogs. Anyway, I'm not pumping up Seth. Hope you're listening Seth anyway. But <laughs> um, the other thing is with social media, I think at the moment too, if people are not in the best headspace that, they're constantly scrolling and it's other people's highlight rules, Bianca, that they're comparing themselves. I don't have this, I've missed this. And it's a spiral that just gets worse and worse and worse. And then you want more and more and more. And it just doesn't work, does it? Like it's it's a really, social media is amazing and I love it as well, but it also can be the devil at the moment. Yes. And I think I was so focused in sport and now this is what I learned during this old MBA too, is around you know, again, you can choose what you're focusing on. So I would be watching TV at night. I'd be scrolling on my phone. I'm not focused on anything. I'm just like in this meaningless kind of world of, <laughs> oh yeah, I'm taking a bit of what they're saying. I'm taking a bit of my phone. Oh yeah, my partner and I are having a conversation. And I'm like, I'm actually doing no favors to anyone, let alone myself by being so kind of spread out in my world. So um, yeah, being out of just make a choice of what you want to focus on, I think is the key. So if you're watching TV, put your phone down and just watch TV. And that's okay. Like I love my trash reality shows like the Kardashians. <laughs> <laughs> so while I'm watching that, I need to tune out of everything else and just focus on that and not feel like I have to be on my phone and everything at the same time. So yeah, you're right. It, it can be so exhausting. And if we can simply just make one choice in that moment rather than trying to do three things, then we're going to do a far better justice um, than what we would if we're multitasking. Yeah. Well, and it just comes back to being present and let's be honest, if you're watching Kim, Kylie, Kendall, whoever, you want to be present. So. <laughs> you know the name. <laughs> My wife likes it as well. Don't worry. I always see it. Now, one thing I love talking to sports superstars is you're a defender, goal defender, goalkeeper, Bully. That's a bully position, Bianca. So we, let's talk about, were there some unreal sledging that went on or just, have you got any great sledging stories? I'd, I love hearing war stories from back in the day. Well, to be honest, netball, we, as a defender, you didn't want to say too much while you're on, on court because you, the shooter could turn around and just bomb one on you. And then what are you going to do from that? Netball, <laughs> we weren't, we weren't, we didn't sledge a lot while we we're on the court. I would always sledge our attackers at training because they're always the princesses that get all the glory, yet we always do the hard work. So that, like, <laughs> we always have that joke within amongst your own team. Um, but the little tricky things, I think, for defenders, because netball is completely an attacker's game. So you have to come up with little savvy, sometimes just pushing the boundaries a little bit uh, with how you go about things. So because there's only two umpires, and for this is different, Super Netball and Melbourne Vixens Netball is very different to international netball. Um, 
the super netball is officiated by Australian umpires. So they're up to the standard, they're up to the speed, they know what they're doing. International umpires, though, you're not allowed to have an Australia or New Zealand umpire if it's an Australia-New Zealand test match. So you get umpires from, they might be from Barbados, they might be from Malawi, anywhere, but they're nowhere near up to the speed of the game. So for defenders, they quite often, they're not fit enough to keep up with the pace of the game running up and down the court. So half the time they just don't blow their whistle. So you can get away with a whole lot more because they're not used to having to see what the defenders are doing behind play and then run up and down the court. And so, yeah, you could get away with a lot more at international level. So it was a lot more physical. Um, so, you know, just the sneaky little hold-ons because the umpire was around the other side. So you knew that you were on, especially as I got older and I got a bit slow lower I had to rely a bit more on those little dirty tactics and Nat Medhurst one of the players um, who I used to play against and within the Aussie team she used to, used to be like Bianca I don't know how you get away with it <laughs> holding on <laughs> and I'm like oh, <laughs> you've got to push boundaries. yeah and I think that's one I never knew that about the international umpires and um, I suppose that's one thing with netball. It's a non-contact sport I've never seen a more contact sport in my life no wonder your knees are no good well, that's right. And you think about it too. I played a lot of basketball, but basketball, you get five opportunities to be rough and you're out, right? <laughs> Whereas netball, non-contact sport, you've actually got as many opportunities as you like because you literally just have to stand out of play if you get contact for one second until the ball's back in play and you're back in. So you can do it 30, 40, 50 times. And I'm not saying that you do it to hurt anyone, <laughs> but, you know, like a simple little contact doesn't really get you out of the game. You're only out for a second, you're back in. So I used to, when I used to go back and play basketball for fun I was always fouled off because I'm thinking <laughs> five times what <laughs> so you'd always play a good quarter and that would be it now <laughs> yeah. now I don't want you are you are a superstar and I don't want to sound we've just sort of you've just bagged yourself out there a little bit but it's all <laughs> life life is about tactics and getting away with things or making it to your advantage when you look back at your career what's the shining light or what are you most proud of what you're able to achieve um, Another big question, I mean, I think, sorry. Yeah. I mean, you always want the premierships, right? Because that's what you work so hard for. Um, and definitely in the Aussie team, you wanted, I wanted a gold medal at the Com Games and I wanted a gold medal at World Champs. And like, yes, I can say I've ticked all those off, but I was in the Aussie team for about, I think, six or seven years. Then I got dropped and it was a real awakening for me when I got dropped because I was a bit exhausted, a bit drained from my body was not fit enough. I just had been through just kind of like what we all go through in life where you're just like doing the same thing all the time. And you just get so, uh, I guess, a bit bored and you just, you're just over it really. And I got to that point. And um, so when I was dropped from the team, I came back, uh, I got back in, I think a year later into the Aussie side and we had about five years then. And that was the best part of my career, my last four years of playing in the Australian team and for Melbourne, because finally for me, I'd become more passionate about the leadership side and bringing a team together and working hard on all the team dynamics. I, I could forget about me as a player because I, I had the experience that I could prepare for a game and I'd go out there and play the game, but I got more satisfaction and enjoyment from watching the young girls do things for the first time or seeing them work so hard at training and then being able to put it out there on court. So in 2014, um, it was my second last year of playing, but I got to captain the Vixens to a premiership and that, that was seeing some 
Kate Maloney and Liz Watson, who are the captains right now, it was their first and second years in the team and they got to win their first premiership and it's their only premiership they've got so far. But just to see their faces and how they did it and how happy they were to achieve it, um, I got more enjoyment out of that. And I know now they always ring me and they're always talking about the leadership in the team and what they should do. And I love that they see me now as someone who I can support them in what they're going through and how, because it's not always easy being the leader. Um, and then that same year, we went to Glasgow for the Com Games and won a gold medal. Um, and that was my last game for Aussie. So, yeah, twenty fourteen. Yeah, it was my. It was probably my <laughs> highlight. But I also knew very quickly. I was like, uh oh, my body's breaking very quickly. Yeah, I've only got one more year left in me before I need to go. <laughs> I, I love that. Now, what you just mentioned there about you know building that team dynamics and when you actually watch other people succeed, that is nearly more gratifying than yourself. So, people are listening. We've got schools, we've got coaches, teachers, corporates, parents, you name it. How can we reach out to get a bit of Bianca to speak? to whoever like how do we how do we organize something like that well you can either jump on my website which is just biancachatfield.com send me an email on that or just reach out on any of my social media channels just send me a direct message and yeah that's generally how people get in touch with me so i'm more than happy to chat to anyone that um, is interested or um yeah talk to me about what your team environment's like and i'll see if i can add some value Perfect. And, and as we said before, the best thing is now you can do multiple gigs in a day because you don't have to fly anywhere. So again, COVID has probably, it's opened up more avenues, I feel, probably for yourself as well. Yeah, but also what were we doing flying around? I used to fly like to Sydney and back in a day and then to Queensland and back in a day just for work. And as much as it, it was great work and I enjoyed it, man, were we exhausting ourselves by all of that travel. So yeah, I'm, I think COVID has definitely been a blessing in so many ways. And hopefully a lot of us can take out some of the good things that we've learned about ourselves um, once life starts getting back to normal. We don't forget that too quickly. Mm. So true, so true. So guys listening, episode 209, show notes, I'll have links for socials, website for Bianca. Now, before I let you go, because I know you're very busy, I've had to do a lot of painting. I've had to do a lot of painting lately. What, can you give me one or two tips? Because I hate it and I'm not very good. Surely you've got some amazing tips after painting so much. Oh, okay. Um, what were my tips? Oh, take the, this is the, what I hated. I hated taking the time to pre like prepare the space, like tape everything properly. And <laughs> I hated doing that. I just wanted to start painting because I knew I'd be up all night. So definitely <laughs> take the time to prepare. And now you can actually get sheets, like plastic sheets, and they've already got the tape attached. So they're a great addition wow. where you can actually use those to cover up anything that you don't want paint all over um i mean if you can use a spray gun use a spray gun because they are amazing um uh, what else i don't know look i'm by no means a perfect painter or expert. <laughs> i just got it done any way i could and sometimes and i think here's actually once you paint like our place on the block there's about you you film for three months it have about two months off and then it goes to air so in that two months off because we lived in Melbourne and we were close by we would sneak back in and like paint a room and paint another room, <laughs> paint another room. so the painting we did while we were filming was okay but we wanted to make sure when the buyers actually started coming in that it looked a thousand times better so the show um you have to do it all on your own accord the show don't pay for the other teams to fly into melbourne to repaint or anything but we did make sure that we put in the effort to 
just do it in better timing and a bit neater than what we actually did on the show. <laughs> and that, uh, I think that's a competitive spirit in colour and yourself, isn't it? That's yes. the wanting to win at all costs. I want to have the best painting. <laughs> yes. I don't want anyone coming in here and looking at it going, oh, this is terrible, girls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bianca, thank you so much for the painting tips, but for giving up your time today to, you know, share about your amazing career, the work you're doing, and also, I think, if people are listening, take away one or two things about implementing a routine at the moment for yourself. I know I'm in Melbourne as well. And it is, let's be honest, uncertainties all around and we don't know what's happening, but what you can control is when you wake up and what you do with yourself. And I think that's a really important message. So Bianca, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate having you on the show. No worries. Thanks for having me and stay safe and healthy everyone out there.